The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm excited to be teaching in here tonight, opening up the word. For tonight, we're going to be in John chapter 13. I'm really excited. It's a, a big text. It's a powerful text. It is um, challenging, and yet it should be a reminder that, that what we speak of tonight, it, I hope and anticipate none of it's new, and yet I also hope and anticipate that it will be challenging uh, because it's one of those things we need to be reminded of and is difficult. Uh, I titled the message, and I'll, I'll fill this in in a moment, Highest and Best. Uh, highest and best. Uh, and the picture I used for, for the graphic is actually one that Jimmy took a couple weeks ago when our, our pastors went on a retreat to Brian Head. We go away every year. We were supposed to go to Mammoth and we got redirected because of everything in California being closed. So this was a sunrise hike that I took with, uh, that's me on the left. That's our graphics video guy, Blake there. Lucas, our junior high pastor. Drew, our high school pastor. So we got up at sunrise. And uh, what we're going to be looking at tonight is the the call to how we love one another. And so I love these guys, and when I live out my one another, a lot of it is around them, so that's why I thought this would be a fun picture to use in the backdrop. So John chapter 13, let's read, let's read in verse 31. These first couple verses we'll come back to kind of later how they play, but we'll primarily be focusing on verse 33 and 34, and then honestly, we're going to have like 20 scripture references, so a lot of verses. Verse 31, so when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. And then verse 33, he said, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray again. God, this is your, your great command of how we respond to you. We could sit and just meditate and think and teach and read and perceive for ages upon your love. And yet the command that you give to us is to respond with that love for others. So I pray that you would fill that in for us tonight in our minuscule amount of time for how massive of a thing this is to comprehend. Lord God, that you would help us to see all of your heart poured out on us in calling us to love others. Fill this in, Lord God. Fill it in. Speak and move in our hearts and our minds. We want to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so highest and best. 
Let's fill that in for a second. Highest and best is a uh, real estate term. Uh, some would even call it kind of a rule or a practice. Highest and best is the idea that as you come to a property and you're trying to determine its value, you have to, when you look at its value, not just look what is on the property. Uh, you have to instead determine what is the value based off of the potential of the property. And so the, the places that this, this uh, plays out the most is in places of incredibly high value land, like a, a Manhattan or like a beachfront property or any kind of really metropolitan expensive area. They have this concept play out for them of highest and best. And so if you were to have a property in Manhattan and you were to uh, go to sell it and you had on that property uh, an arcade, you know, but it's, you know, it's, you know, uh, half an acre and it's in the middle of Manhattan. When they go to sell it, they don't say, well, this is only an arcade. And so we're going to price it based off of an arcade. You say instead, what is the highest and best use of the property? What could be done with this land that, that could really uh, be bigger and greater, right? Because the person selling the land, they would be selling it short if they, if they didn't sell it based off of what it could be, right? And so what I want us to look at today and how I see this, and, and as I was thinking uh, back upon this topic of, of what we're called to in serving one another and loving one another and lifting one another up, I believe our highest and best use is exactly that. That we look at our lives and, and kind of if we're assessing with this kind of value mentality, we would think of the highest and best value for our lives would be something revolving around an amazing skill set or a special gifting that we have or something that we could create or that we can say, God, I'm gonna offer you this thing. And I believe what God would tell us instead is that our highest and best use is to just, not just, to fully love one another, to fully serve one another, to fully lift one another up. That is our highest and best use. That is the highest potential for this property of my life is to serve one another, is to care for one another. We sometimes minimize it. We think of it as the kind of the side bits and pieces of, of our Christian walks when the greater thing is something, is some kind of larger, uh, all-encompassing task or vision or direction. And I think that God would say, it's not this, this big dream or this massive goal, but, but the highest and best use is actually serving and loving one another. That is our actual greatest potential that we could possibly fulfill. And so our highest and best is to love one another, is to live out our Christianity in the one another realm. That's, that's where we live it out. That's how we live out our Christianity, is one another. We don't live out our Christianity by being the greatest student. That's a benefit, that's, that's a way to draw closer to God, but we live out our Christianity in the one another's. We, we live out our Christianity in every bit of how we love and care for one another. One another is where we grow. One another is where we draw closer to God. One another is where we are most in line with God's heart, with God's mind, with his, with his character, with his passion, is in the one another. 
I think this is exemplified, and I'm going to steal from Daniel. He'll be back picking up in Ephesians next week, but we're going to jump ahead for just a second to Ephesians chapter 4. Like I said, I have enough scripture references that I'm going to be in basically all of the epistles. So one way or another, we are going to hit Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 4, this is one of my favorite texts. It was kind of life-changing for me, and I've probably mentioned it from this stage on a Wednesday night before. But I think it really sets the, the understanding for how all of our Christianity revolves around the one another's. So Ephesians 4, where you guys will get to in probably about five weeks, I don't know, uh, is, of course, after Ephesians 2 and 3. In Ephesians 2 and 3, we have poured out for us all that God has done for us. We have him displaying again and again through all different ways, speaking of how we were adopted and we're brought near and we're given adoption rights of inheritance and all these different things. So God pours out upon all of us what he has done for us and how he has blessed us in chapters two and three. And then he comes to chapter four and he starts by saying, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. So this huge task that he's going to give us, this huge thing that he's going to command us to do, he says, I, I command you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And this is kind of even, so harken back to what I just said, that, that I think there, if we pause, many of us would see him saying walk worthy, and we would think he's about to reference a large task a large call, a great achievement, that if we're going to walk worthy, if we're going to do something truly worthy of all that he has done, because he says, therefore, based off of all that he has done, walk worthy, we're going to need something huge. But instead, what he says, he says, walk worthy of the call with which he is called. He says in verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another, in love, endeavoring to keep unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father above all and through all and in you all. In you all. He says one another there, that, that the place that we live out our walking worthy is one another. That's where we begin to be the highest and best. It's not walk worthy with some massive task. It's walk worthy with loving one another. And so going back to our, our first text, John 13, let's put a little bit of context here. Uh, John 13 is near the end of Jesus's uh, earthly ministry, that three years span. And here he comes to them uh, near the end, and, and he says it kind of multiple times. He says it in the beginning, and we'll read it again in a second. He says in verse 1, it says, when Jesus knew his hour had come. So as he knew the time was coming to an end, uh, he begins this chapter. So this, we see what transpires in John 13. And it all transpires based off of the fact that he knew he didn't have much time left. So within John 13, he washes the disciples' feet. That's what he chooses to do with his limited time left. He washes their feet. And then it says he, he deals with this little task of getting rid of Judas, the betrayer. And then he comes to this command. And it's massive and it's huge. And, and I think it's kind of gut-wrenching. He says to them there, again in verse 33, he says, I shall be with you only a little while longer. And I think that's just key, because when you only have a little bit of time, you focus on the major things. You don't trifle with the little things. You're no longer giving the minute little instructions. You're focusing on the great call that he has for us. 
So he says, my little children, I only have a little while longer with you. And so then he says, a new commandment I give to you. He says that he's going to give them a new commandment, right? And what then he says is love one another. But the, you have to pause there. To, to, he says, new commandment that you love one another. So I look at this and I say, what's new about that, right? Like if you, if you heard him say, I have a new commandment. Disciples have been with him for three years. And he says, I have a new commandment. You have imagined they would think, all right, what is this going to be, right? Is he going to tell them that they can now like control sea life with their mind, kind of like he did where they brought all the fish in, right? Is that going to be the new commandment? Is the new commandment going to be to like steal from the rich and give to the poor? Like go out there, you know, uh, you know the, oh, what's his name? Guys, I'm blanking. Uh, these zealot he would have liked that one uh zealot's name what was the zealot's name ryan what was the zealot's name simon, simon the zealot and so he would have liked that I mean, i'll rob from the rich and give to the poor right or maybe a new commandment is going to be uh go form a band right you, you disciples you're going to form a band you're going to travel around and sing songs right they, they would have their minds would have been racing a new commandment and then he says that you love one another and then it, you know the, the first reactions would be like that's not new that's not a new commandment. That's a very old commandment. That's, I mean, when, when they came to Jesus and when they said the, the laws boiled down into two things, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, that's not new, to love one another. And so you're kind of confused to love one another, but then you focus on the next part because he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, that's new. That's new. Honestly, that's kind of disturbing and discouraging, and I'm a little despondent. To love others the way that God has loved us, the way that Jesus displayed God's love, this is the commandment that he gives to us. Let that sink in for a second. Love others the way that he has loved us. Right, like, if you think about it, our understanding of love, apart from Jesus, is trivial and minimized. I promised a few food analogies here, so let's start the first one. Uh, food analogies are kind of my thing. Uh, I apologize to my mom, who's probably listening to this now or will be listening to this soon, but I grew up with uh, a way that we made pizzas at our house uh, with English muffins. Anyone ever make pizzas with the English muffins? Okay, they're fine. Okay, but imagine if you ever only had an English muffin pizza. You're taking a little prego and you're drizzling it on. You're plopping some mozzarella on, maybe a few pepperonis, and you're putting in the toaster oven. And if you've only ever been given this kind of pizza, and this is the pizza you know, this is the pizza you've experienced, and you said, this is pizza, right? And it's fine and it's good, and you feel like you feel a little bit of warmth with it, like, you know, but it's, it's on an English muffin, right? And then a day comes where you go to, uh, my favorite is either Buena Forchetta for like a Neapolitan pizza, or maybe uh, Luigi's for New York style. And you have one of these ones where it's just perfect. The dough is just right. There's a little tiny bit of char that you want a little bit of char. And it's not too much sauce because people always put too much sauce on. And you've got delicious like buffalo mozzarella and it's delicious and you have that and you say, this is a new kind of pizza. 
I will now judge all pizza based off of this pizza. That English muffin pizza was fine, but it's a different category. It's a different thing. There's a whole different standard, and I can no longer look at it the same way. And that's what this love is. The old love was good. God calls us to have love, and we all have that kind of love. We love different people. We love people who are kind to us, and we love them when they are being nice, and sometimes we're a little bit less feeling of love. Uh, you know, and, and we have our kind of love, and that was kind of like an English muffin pizza. But then Jesus comes along, he says, a new commandment I give you to love one another as I have loved you. And our eyes are opened up like when we've had those real pizzas where we're like, oh, this is different. This isn't the same thing that I have been living and walking and experiencing. This is difficult. I can make you an English muffin pizza with Prego. I cannot produce a perfect Neapolitan pizza like Buena Forchetta does. I can't do it. So we come to God and we hear this and it's, I think, discouraging because it's like, how do I do that? I can't accomplish that. I can't achieve that. But what he tells us is he'll be with us. He tells us that it is his strength that is made perfect in our weakness. He calls us to imitate him and then to abide in him. And then there's this text that I think we read oftentimes and we look at it differently, but I think it speaks more of what we're talking about here. In John chapter 4, verse 12, I don't have that one on the screen. I'll have more in a second for you guys. But he says, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Guys, there's nothing more that we can ask in his name. There's no time we can be more unified with him in asking things in his name than for help in loving other people the way that he loved them. He starts out this section by saying, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these. And we read that, and I think our minds instantly go to the miracles that he did, and I do believe he can do those in us, and that we can do those works like he did. But I think because we don't have the proper opinion of serving and loving one another, we don't view it as the highest and best. And so when he says, the works that I did, you will do also, I think he's referring to serving one another and to loving one another. That this is the great and tremendous thing. That when we read that, we think miracles, I'm going to bring a coin out of a fish's mouth. I'm going to raise the, the people who are paralyzed. And he says, no, the works that I did, you will do also. And that is washing one another's feet. That is serving one another. That is loving sacrificially. And so he calls us into this, and he says that he will give us that ability. He tells us, you will do these things. And so we're to walk in that. We're to pursue after that, to have this, this different kind of love. And so what does that look like? Well, it looks like sacrificial love. One another love begins with sacrificial love. And, and we're just going to here take a second to draw a few aspects of what his love looks like. And I promise you we're going to only scratch the surface. But let's draw out a few of them. And we have to begin with sacrificial love. And so it says in 1 John 3.16, I have it here for you. This is how we know what love is. 
This is the definition. This is the example of the tremendous pizza. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters as well. This is how we know by seeing his example that we are to imitate. It says in John 15, 12, he says, this is my commandment. So this is only a couple chapters later, but it's right there at the end also. And now he says it uh, as a repetition of this new commandment we just read. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. And so we read that, and we think of the way that God calls us at times to die to ourselves, right? He died a literal death. But prior to him dying a literal death, he died daily to himself. I talk about this when I do weddings, uh, that it's real easy for a couple as they're getting married and they're talking about how much they love each other to have that I would take a bullet for you kind of love to say, I would die for you. I would do this massive task for you. But then I, I tell them, but that's not the hard part. And to them, they're like, that sounds hard. It sounds like a big task, a big feat. I said, no, the hard part is dying to yourself every single day is day in and day out, loving someone in such a way that your needs and your desires and your goals and your pursuits and your passions, they die in order to lift up the other person, in order to prefer the other person. And so he calls us to have the sacrificial love that he had for us. Perhaps someday it would require a, a sacrificial death like him, but, but fully and definitely, it will require a daily dying to ourselves. So we see that Jesus' love was first exemplified in the fact that he died for us. And then it goes on and we see that his love was exemplified in that he served us, that we are called to serve one another, that our love is lived out in serving one another. The technical definition of the word serve means yielding to another, acting in ways of preferring others, to seek the betterment of those around you. Jesus did this constantly. All of his time was spent doing this, except for when he would retreat to pray. We see, like I said, in that last chapter where he recognized at the beginning of the chapter and then again later that he was at the end, and he chose to do three things. One of those things was to give them the example of what it looked like to serve one another, to get down on his knees and to wrap a cloth around him and to wash their feet, to yield to each other, not as a position of power or authority, but to lay that down and to say, this is it. Serve one another. Use your gifts. Use your influence. Use any power and authority that you have to serve one another. Galatians 5.13 says it this way. It says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh to serve yourself, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. So we have the opportunity to either feed our flesh or to love and serve one another. And if we don't love and serve one another, we are devouring one another is what this scripture says. I like how the message kind of elaborates upon this. It says, it is absolutely clear that God has called you to be to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. You hear that? Destroy your freedom. Serving yourself is destroying your freedom. It says, rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That this is how we live out the freedom of Christ. That we have been given room to run. He moves in power through us and we live that power out through laying down our rights. The freedom we give up to serve one another, to prefer those around us. Philippians 2, 1 through 4 says it in this way. It says, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, Just stop. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. That's just heavy. I chose the message. It really paints it powerfully uh, to read this text. If you have gotten anything out of following Christ, if you have a heart, it says, if you care, then do me a favor. He says, agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. That our Savior forgot himself, his needs and and what he would prefer to do and how he prefer to be treated. He, He set those things aside. He became a man and he served us. He died for us, not just once in his death on the cross, but continually he died to himself to lift us up, to prefer us. And that is what he calls us into. That is what he invites us into. That is what he says our freedom should be used for. And so we have to begin with, in this, we have to begin with our hearts and our minds. Because we can't just effort our way to this. We can't just make a checklist and decide we're going to determine to do this. We have to begin with our hearts and our minds and say, God, check my heart. Transform my mind to where I can look at the world in a way where I am able to see others as of greater importance than myself. I'm able to see their needs and their wants and prefer them. I'm able to lift them up. I don't see the world that way. That's not how my mind works. I don't process in looking at other people and think what is best for them. I walk into a room and I think about what's best for me. I walk up into a room and think, how am I going to be either closest to the exit or get the, ar- the seat with a back on it or arms? I walk into any situation and process for myself. 
And so we have to ask him, God, take my heart to where I want this and then transform my mind to where I don't automatically process the whole world of how it will serve me. But instead, transform my mind to how I can serve the world. And so 2 Corinthians 5.16 says it, that concept. It says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. He says that we regard no one, that our perspective of looking around us is transformed, that we no longer regard people as, the, as we used to or as the world does. But he says, because we have been transformed, because we have been made a new creation in Christ, we now have a new processing chip within us. We have a new ability to look at the world and to assess the world and to assess who is around us and how we can serve them. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, the world who serves itself is out for its own interest, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. A mind that no longer is immediately processing, how am I going to get what I want out of this? But instead, serving one another. We want to transform our minds. We want to transform our hearts to be love as Jesus was, to serve one another. And so then I believe that Jesus displayed his love and that he lifted everyone up. So we want to lift up one another. We want to lift each other up in a multitude of ways. And let's focus in this moment on our voices. I believe the highest and best use of our voice is to lift up another, to lift each other's up, to encourage, to exhort. Actually, I'll argue with myself on that point. The highest and best use of our voice is probably to worship God. Not probably, it is. But other than that, the highest and best use of our voice is to lift each other up, to give life to others. Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Another translation say, says, words kill and words give life. There is either poison or fruit. You choose. We have the ability to give life, to speak life into people. There's people who think that like singing or talking to a plant does something to it, like it gets greener, it grows more. I don't know. I'm not going to make a statement about that. But it absolutely does something with those around you, that you can speak life into people like a plant, and you can, you can see them become greener, become more healthy, become flourishing, start sprouting new limbs and growing, that we are called to lift others up by speaking life into them. And then we're to encourage them. And this is done often in scripture. We see it often with Paul and Timothy. We see it, Joshua was encouraged by God. And encourage is a word, I, this, I learned this years ago and it, it was remarkable to me and yet it seems incredibly obvious. It means to give courage to someone. To encourage someone means to give them courage, to hand them courage. And so with our words, we are giving to them courage. We're giving them confidence. We're supporting them. Hebrews 10.24 says, and let's consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds. 
Let's consider how to encourage one another. Another translation says, let's consider how to stir one another up. This is definitely one of my favorite verses uh, because it's a cooking analogy right there in the Bible. I don't even have to make a food analogy. It's already there. Stirring each other up, bringing those things to the surface that have fallen down to the bottom. I've referenced this one from this stage multiple times on Sunday morning announcements. It just says the body of Christ, we are called to stir one another another up, to lift our eyes up, to lift our eyes and help us to direct our focus to those things that God has done and is going to do, that we're to encourage each other. Another translation says this verse this way. It says, let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. I love that. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging each other. That we should be so focused on encouraging each other that we should be inventive in how we go about it. You don't invent things by not considering them, by not thinking about them, by not making them a focus. You invent things when it is consuming you, when you're focused on it, when it's something that, that has your full attention, then you become inventive in how you go about it. And God calls us to be inventive in how we encourage each other and how we spur one another on and how we stir each other up. And then we lift one another up by building up one another. That we use this term to build up a person. And the Bible says it this way. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So it says that we use our words, we use our influence to build each other, to put brick upon brick of what God is doing, that we get to come to the process. He's building people, and we get to step in and be an instrument to add another brick to the structure of their Christian faith, to the structure of their calling, to the structure of their gifting, that we get to contribute. So it says in our speech, it says, let no corrupting talk come out of you. So we can always do the opposite. It said earlier, you can give life or you can give death. Here it says, let no corrupting talk come out of you. This word for corrupting is a word that would mean to dissolve or deteriorate or really to corrode. Basically, don't pour poison on people that would cause the the building of their spirituality, the building of their lives, of their courage, of their faith to disintegrate. Instead, build. Don't deteriorate. Build. Add bricks to their lives. Build them up with your words that there is power in our words. And we want to wield that power to build other people up. Each word of encouragement is a brick. Each word of exhortation is a brick. Each time we communicate support, every time we slow down and speak in gentleness and kindness and the power of the Lord, we are placing brick upon brick. And don't you want to be someone who is a building builder? Don't you want to be someone who builds up the body of Christ so that we see substantial structures rather than deteriorating, diminishing structures? We want to speak words of power, and God has given us that ability. You all have that ability. This is not a spiritual gift that one person or another has, right? Yes, we all have that ability. There's nothing special about anyone that would allow them to be someone who only they can speak a word that builds up, but we all have the ability to build up. 
And in that, I believe there is power when we specifically lift people up by accurately identifying what God has built into them. When we can speak to the things that God is already doing and that he has done, and this is how God works throughout scripture. He calls out in people who they are and what they are becoming. He called out in Noah. He says, you're going to be a sailor, and he became a sailor. He told Moses, you're going to be a deliverer and a leader. He pushed off, he backtracked, he resisted, and he became a leader and a deliverer. He told Peter that he would be a rock, and Peter became a rock. He told Sarah that she would be a mother of many nations, and she became a mother of many nations. God calls us to speak that into people. They don't have to be there yet, that we can see that God is working in them as a leader. We can see that God is using them as a worshiper. We can see that God is using them as a servant of God, and we can call those things out. We can say it, and there is such power. Guys, this is the one thing that I have just been saying, God, give me this in my tool belt as a father. I want to be a dad who looks my children in their eyes and tells them that you are artistic and powerful. You are dynamically made by God, and you're going to be dynamically used by God. I want to speak those things into them and put brick upon brick, and I want to speak it into every member of the body of Christ around me, because that is how I serve them. That is how we lift up the body of Christ. Moving on. I can turn. All right. So we lift up. And all these things are difficult and all these things are challenging. The one another is the greatest thing that we are called to. And it is the hardest thing that we're called to. And so we do that. And this references back to Pastor Daniel's messages from some Sundays of months back by abiding in him. That we love others from first having been loved. That's right there in scripture, many different times and many different wordings, that we are to love others after having been loved. And so how do we go about loving other people? Well, we gaze upon his love, because like I said, we, we're taking 40 minutes for something that is going to take us a lifetime. We gaze upon his love. We observe it, right? If I wanted to recreate that amazing pizza, I can't just go and eat it once. And then after a lifetime of eating you know, English muffin pizzas, I can't just go and eat it once and then go back. I've got to eat it a lot. That's why I'm going there all the time now. Um, I've got to eat it a lot. I've got to study it. I've got to observe it. I've got to see every bit of it. And that's then, I, I receive it, I partake of it, and then I imitate it. And then, but with Jesus' love, it goes beyond pizza. It, it, we, we receive it and we abide in it. We plant our roots down into it. We let his love wash over us. That's what we do in worship. It's what we do in the word. We allow ourselves to abide in his love. John 15, 9 says, as the father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. His commandment, we already looked at it, is to love one another. If you keep my commandments, if you love one another as I have loved you, he says, you will abide in my love. That there is love upon love. When we love others, when we walk in this commandment, it's incredibly difficult. It's incredibly challenging. But when we walk in it, he says, when you walk in this commandment, you will abide in my love. 
That his love will be made manifest and, and exemplified and exaggerated and just lifted high in us and we will see it and we will walk in it continually. That we need to abide in his love. I've been defining a lot of things in this. Let's, uh, let's define abide. Abide means to remain stable or fixed in a state. To accept patiently. To accept without objection. So now let's add his love into that. Abide in his love. To remain stable in his love. In a fixed state of his love. To accept his love patiently to accept his love without objection. That we need to have his love flowing in from all directions in order to walk out and build up the body, lift up the body, serve the body, sacrificially love the body. Let me end with this image uh, that I've uh, had in my mind for years that I love. Uh, when I, uh, I've mentioned before up here that I was, uh, helped plan a church in Missouri. Uh, I went out with a guy who had been our junior high pastor about 16 years ago to help plant a church uh, in Farmington, Missouri. His name was Mike Harrison. They actually, uh, they just built a new sanctuary uh, that seats like 600 people. And they have a screen wall kind of like ours. They came out and like checked out our screen wall. And they have five other locations that they planted out of their location. And it's just doing amazing. But I was out there helping plant the church. It was a year and a half in. And there was uh, something called an ice storm. Has anyone ever experienced an ice storm? A few of us? Okay, so an ice storm to those of us from San Diego who haven't experienced, because I hadn't except for that one time, is this very specific and precise type of storm where as the slushy snow falls, it's falling in a wet state, but then as it comes down into the atmosphere, it's colder, and as it hits things, it freezes. So rather than pile building up, it's ice that forms immediately. Now, this is dangerous. It's beautiful, but it's dangerous. The snow falls, it forms ice on everything, and what that does is every single twig of every single branch is coated in ice. So all the branches become incredibly heavy. So we had this amazing storm. My wife and I, being from San Diego, were just in awe and thought it was beautiful. We, we really didn't understand weather, having grown up out here. Uh, there was one time I was on the phone talking to our pastor, and we were getting ready to cancel Sunday night church because of a tornado warning. And there was a crazy storm going on outside the window, and I'm talking to him on the phone. And he, he, I'm like, so what should we do? He's like, OK, well, make sure you're not near any windows. And I'm like, literally, like, inch from the window. And I'm like, all right. You know, San Diego boy doesn't know not to be near a window during a tornado. Um, but so we didn't know. It was a beautiful storm, but we didn't know that all the branches would start coming down. And so branches started falling because of all the weight. Power lines went out. And like 70% of our area was without power. And uh, that created a lot of problems. One of the problems was that there was, uh, as as all the water came and started melting, a lot of the houses in the area had lived kind of below the water level. So they had something called a sup pump. A sup pump keeps water out of your basement, but sup pumps are powered by electricity. So as the power was out, this is a lot of details, but just track with me, OK? Uh, the power was out, sup pumps were out, so people's basements were going to be flooding. So myself and the pastor, we had a generator for the church. So we spent about 48 hours traveling around the town hooking up the generator to people's set pumps so that they could pump and not flood their basement. And what we saw was after a while, like most of the houses of the people that we were helping were all in this one neighborhood. 
And so I started walking around the neighborhood as the generator was running one time. And I walked into this part of the neighborhood where there was a manhole cover. And this manhole cover had you know, the holes in it. And water was gushing out of the manhole cover, shooting up like five, six, seven feet in the air. And the problem was that there was water flowing to this manhole cover from a lake that was overflowing, from all of these different gutters and areas. And there was all these like tributaries flowing into this one sewer system, so much so that this manhole cover was shooting water seven, 10, eight, you know, 11 feet in the air. And, and so I got a crowbar and I ended up lifting the manhole cover off and wire just gushed, I got drenched, but it just poured out for a while and actually helped fix the problem. But as I thought back upon that, I thought back about this aspect of how God calls us to love, that we need to have all of these tributaries. We need to have water flowing in. We need to have God's love flowing in from all directions. This is one area love flows in being poured out into in the word, in worship. We need to surround ourselves with other believers who stir us up, as Hebrews 10 spoke of. We need to be in prayer, receiving his love. We need to be looking for it from all areas. And then we don't have to worry. We don't have to be discouraged when he says, love others as I have loved you. Instead, it will gush out of us as it's pouring into us. We want to have his love just continually flowing into us. Because if you're dry, it is going to be difficult to gush out his love, to give his love, to walk in his love, to serve one another as he's called us to serve one another. But if we allow ourselves to be overflowing, poured into, you can try and cover it with a manhole, but it's going to shoot out in every direction. You're not going to be able to keep it down. And so we have this incredibly difficult task to love one another as he has loved us, to serve one another, to build one another up. And what I encourage you guys to do as we seek to execute this is just to receive all of his love, to be greedy for his love and let it flow out of you as we imitate it after abiding in him. Let's pray. Oh, God, it is so good to be loved by you. Your love is abundantly significant, powerful, redeeming, gracious. God, you have sacrificed. You have served us. You have lifted us up. You are building us up, Lord God. We want to be instruments of your love. And so we pray now, help us to abide in you. Help us to receive every bit of your love so that we can love as you have loved us. God, wash over us in this love. Consume us with your love, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.